Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. On today's episode, you'll be hearing from yours truly as we take a quick break from some of the guests and interviews that we've had on the show recently and get back a little more to my area of expertise of finance and economics. I think that this is good timing as there has certainly been a lot to talk about in the economy so far in 2023, but in particular with our banking sector. Now, if you've listened to me in the past or you've seen some of the things I write on, you'll often hear me refer to our banking system as the bedrock of our economy. It is where all of our money flows in and out of. They are truly the holders of our country's wealth. So unfortunately, there has been some turmoil as of late. I'm sure you've seen this in the news. And just last Friday on April 28th, the Federal Reserve came out with what's been called their autopsy report on Silicon Valley Bank or SVB. So there's a lot of uh, much anticipated findings in that report. We're going to go through some of those key takeaways. We'll talk about the current status of our banking system and what the future looks like. But before we go there, I just want to mention that today's episode is brought to you by my brand new book, What Should I Do With My Money? Hold up a quick copy here. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely go out and take a look, get a copy. It's available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook, and uh, it's gotten great reviews thus far. If you're trying to figure out how the entire economy works and what it means to you and your microeconomy, we sum it all up in that book, and I'm sure you'll enjoy a quick and entertaining read that will bring you up to speed and put you in control of your wealth. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Kadena Podcast. Let's talk about the banking system. So Silicon Valley Bank, just to refresh everybody's uh, memory, they went under on March 10th after a bank run. And so let's define a bank run first. And let's actually, before we even get to the bank run, let's define how our banks work. The American banking system is what's called a fractional reserve banking system. What that means is that when you make a deposit at the bank, the bank just doesn't take your money and kind of lock it away in a vault and say, okay, it's all going to be here waiting for you next time you want to make a withdrawal. Now, what fractional reserve banking or fractional reserve lending implies is that they take your deposit and then a portion of that they keep in reserve and then the remainder they're going to loan out into the economy. That can be through credit cards, personal loans, student loans, mortgages, and on and on and on. What that allows us to do is it ex essentially expands the money supply and it puts more money into the economy so that there's overall economic expansion, which is a great thing, of course. And then also the bank, of course, is charging interest on those loans that they make and then as you go get whatever loan it is you may need for yourself or your business, you're paying that back with interest. And so in a perfect world, it's a win-win for the bank and for the consumer. Now, what exactly is a bank run? You know, that first really came to prominence in the Great Depression. It was probably one of the biggest contributing factors to what caused the depression. What a bank run is, is when too many depositors or bank customers go back to the bank and demand their withdrawals at the same time. And then the bank is left saying, okay, there's too many requests for withdrawal. 
And I'm sorry, guys, but we don't have that money available right now. We can't give it to you. And then that can cause a bank run, which would actually cause the bank to go bankrupt. That's essentially what happened to Silicon Valley Bank in March of this year. Okay. Now, let's get into the report, which, like I said, just came out last Friday. So the Federal Reserve said that, you know, they took some blame themselves and they said, I quote, we did not fully appreciate the extent of the vulnerabilities as Silicon Valley Bank grew in size and complexity and did not take sufficient steps to ensure that SVB addressed its problems quickly. However, the report goes on to mention that there was improper management rife throughout the bank. And Michael Barr, who is the vice chair for supervision, he really pulled no punches. And in the opening line of the report, he said, and I quote, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, failed because of a textbook case of mismanagement by the bank. Its senior leadership failed to manage basic interest rate and liquidity risk, end quote. So let's just define those terms real quick. What is interest rate risk? What is liquidity risk? Liquidity risk is a pretty easy one. That just simply means they do not have enough capital available to accommodate what could be a massive amount of withdrawals. Uh, so they're illiquid. They just, in essence, they don't have an adequate rainy day fund available to them. Interest rate risk is a little more complex. What that refers to is when you go and you purchase a bond or a treasury or some form of fixed income, all right, and you get that at a certain interest rate, let's say at 2% interest. But then if overall interest rates are to increase so that now maybe that same bond or form of debt is being issued at 4% instead of your original 2%, well, now that essentially devalued your existing bond, all right, because it's only paying 2% where everything else now is at four in that example. All right. So when a bank takes on all of these deposits, millions or billions of dollars, and then they invest some of that in a portfolio, let's say a lot of it goes into treasuries or bonds, which it does, and then interest rates are to go up. Well, guess what? That kind of seesaw effect that creates a devaluation of their portfolio. So it's essentially worth less at that point in time. That's in essence what interest rate risk is. And so the report saying that SVB was really not staying on top of both liquidity risk and interest rate risk, all right, that those were the main causes. The report does go on to say that the overall banking system is strong and that SVB was a quote outlier. All right. So that does give us some uh, peace of mind and comfort there. Uh, however, you know, other banks have experienced difficulty since March, uh, which I'm going to get into in a moment as well. So let's recap what exactly happened to SVB. We know that there was a bank run. We know that there was poor management. And we know that the supervisors at the Fed were a little bit behind the eight ball in perhaps catching this or stepping in to force SVB to get their house in order. The other key thing here that made this so unique is Silicon Valley Bank, their faults, their weaknesses were really polarized by extreme growth. All right. The bank actually tripled in size from 2019 to 2021. All right. It, there was a cash rich economy. We can all remember during the pandemic, you know, interest rates went to rock bottom. 
All right. The Fed, the economy was begging the banks to just lend everything they could and just force more money into the economy to keep us afloat during the pandemic. There was stimulus galore. Okay. So people were coming into more and more money, enhanced unemployment, all these different, you know, programs that the benefit, the uh, government uh, was putting out there. It just flooded the economy with cash. So where does that cash go? It goes into the banking system. And SVB was a direct beneficiary of all this. So between 2019 and 2021, SVB's total assets jumped from $71 billion to $211 billion. Just tremendous growth. All right. At the same time, the bulk of those deposits came from a very concentrated customer base. All right. Their customers were in the tech sector, uh, venture capital and you know startup businesses that's really who they catered to and that's where so much of that money came from all right along the way they had used uh, pretty lax risk management practices um, and relied heavily on uninsured deposits okay so the report says uninsured deposits are those that are over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. okay uh, just a quick sidebar the fdic or the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, they will insure up to $250,000 per depositor per account type, all right, at in a particular bank. All right, anything above and beyond that is not covered uh, by the government in essence, okay? So SVB, they essentially fell prey to this really concentrated business model catering to tech and venture capital. Uh, they were lax with their risk management practices they were essentially, you know, just living high in this great time for those few years there uh, where the economy was just flush with cash and um, they weren't preparing for what could be a, a rainy day in the future, uh, which, of course, you know, eventually came to roost. So in 2021, we started to experience this rapid inflation, all right, that was a symptom of all that low interest rates, you know, stimulus, all this extra cash in the economy. And as we all know, throughout 2022, the Fed reacted by raising interest rates very quickly. Okay. What that did is not only did that hurt businesses, particularly in the tech sector and in venture capital, but at the same time, like I mentioned earlier, it brought, you know, to the surface that interest rate risk that SVB was not preparing for. All right. So they kind of got caught in this perfect storm where their customers were really in a tough spot throughout 2022. And their portfolio, those $211 billion of assets, were not worth as much as they once were while the Fed raised interest rates and essentially devalued their existing bond portfolio. Another thing that the report pointed out, which I found pretty interesting, is they blamed social media as uh, one of the culprits here. And the reason they brought that up is because there was such a concentrated customer base in the venture capital tech sector that through social media, uh, they these main customers were able to kind of quickly say to each other, hey, our bank may not be in the best of shape right now. And they threw out the rumor or the concern that there could be a bank run that spread like wildfire through social media. And then before you knew it, all of their customers were concerned and they went running to the bank saying, we want our money back. And that is what prompted, you know, the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. 
So you might be asking yourself, you know, how did this go so unnoticed? Well, following the Great Recession, there was what was called the Dodd-Frank Act in 2010, and it created much stricter regulations for banks that had over $50 billion in assets, right? They created these things called stress tests. And essentially what they would do is look at a bank and they would stress test it. They would say, all right, let's assume that there's a, a catastrophic or a severe financial event that puts a lot of pressure on the bank. And let's see how the bank would be able to handle it in this hypothetical scenario. All right, so that was one of the good things that kind of came out of the Great Recession was holding these banks to a higher standard um, so that they were better capitalized and better uh, prepared for this rainy day. However, in 2018, uh, this standard was increased to only apply to banks with over $250 billion of assets. Remember, SVB uh, up to 2019 was not that enormous. Then when their growth exploded, uh, they continued to stay under that $250 billion threshold. So they were not held to such a high standard and having to go through such uh, strict testing. All right. So that's one of the key reasons that SVB, um, you know, wasn't really kind of like brought to the spotlight before their collapse. However, with that said, the Fed's report went on to show that at the time of SVB's failure, they had 31 unaddressed, quote, safe and soundness supervisory warnings. All right. That was the triple, triple the average number of peer banks, according to the Fed. All right. So a lot of folks out there knew that they were not in very good shape if things were to go south, but there was not much being done about it. OK, so here we are nearly six weeks later. Again, remember, all that went down in early March. And now here we are six weeks later. And just yesterday, Monday, May 1st, we saw another very large bank uh, go under. And that was none other than First Republic Bank. OK. So we're seeing these banking troubles uh, still persist. First Republic Bank, just to give you a little background there, they were seized by regulators over the weekend, and most of the bank was sold off in a, a deal to J.P. Morgan Chase and company. So who's First Republic Bank? I'll just give you a quick background, and then we're going to tie all of this together. They were a commercial bank and provider of wealth management services uh, that was founded in 1985 and headquartered out of San Francisco. It was the 14th largest bank in America with $212 billion of assets at the end of 2022, according to First Republic Bank's uh, website. Now, what was the makeup of the bank? Approximately 68% of deposits were ineligible for FDIC insurance. Um, you know, remember that regulators honored uh, deposits that were over 250,000 for SVB and for Signature Bank, who also went up under. And that was meant to curb some of the systematic risk um, that could have created what they call contagion throughout the economy. But with First Republic Bank, they did not make this guarantee, uh, which left a lot of their customers weary of what could possibly happen to their deposits that were over that $250,000 coverage amount. So there were $70 billion of withdrawals over 10 days in March, and First Republic Bank stock just plummeted, uh, you know, as they were kind of the, the next in the chain of events after SVB and Signature Bank. 
So shareholders and debt holders of First Republic Bank have been wiped out when the bank went into government receivership. All right. So that, of course, was very unfortunate. And the FDIC is now going to pay out $13 billion to cover First Republic losses, again, on those $250,000 deposits. And they're going to provide $50 billion of financing to JP Morgan uh, throughout this process. And also JP Morgan will pay $10.6 billion back to the FDIC. So that's how the government, the private sector is kind of teaming up here so that First Republic Bank is effectively moving forward, but no longer as First Republic and now as a part of JP Morgan Chase. So that's where we're at. That's kind of what's going on with some of the banks. Unfortunately, we saw three big ones. Again, SVB, Signature, and First Republic all actually, you know, go under this year. Um, you know, fortunately, the banking system has been able to weather the storm as a whole. And the government through the FDIC has been able to step in and work with some of the other larger banks to make sure that the end customers so far have really not been injured. Um, you know, aside from, like I said, some of the shareholders or debt holders at First Republic, the actual banking customers are still in good shape. They have not been harmed thus far um, from the collapse of these three banks. So that is definitely a silver lining that we still have uh, measures in place that when things hit the fan like they did this year, um, we can keep chugging along. So just to recap, remember there was rapid inflation in 2021 throughout 2022 and what we're still struggling a bit with here in 2023. So the Fed unleashed you know, these interest rate hikes throughout 2022 and into this year, effectively asking the economy to slow down so that things don't just keep getting so expensive. Now, many of the banks are holding devalued assets. They're passing on higher borrowing costs you know, to consumers out there and essentially following the marching orders of a slowed economy. And this is what brought the weaknesses of SVB, Signature Bank, and First Republic up to the surface. So that's where we're at. Now, what can we expect moving forward, uh, you know, from the banking sector and also from the government? So some of the things I've heard thus far is there's been calls for the SD, FDIC to raise their insurable limit beyond $250,000, okay? Again, that's the coverage amount per depositor, per insured bank for each ownership category. And there's been debates even of actually making this coverage amount unlimited. That is something I personally am strongly against and I don't think we'll see because that can create what we call in economics moral hazard. And that means that banks out there that have a weak balance sheet that are not properly managed can go out there and just offer great interest rates on savings accounts and money markets and appeal to more and more customers. And customers can flock to that and get good interest rates and good perks and know that if the bank you know, overshot and wasn't prepared, no problem. The government's going to step in and they'll bail out my money and I won't have to worry about that. That, of course, is bad behavior, bad management. And so I think that the FDIC will not do that. Um, they may raise it, you know, because naturally, you know, financial metrics can increase, you know, with some indexing for inflation. That's common. Um, but there's no way that they're just going to make it, you know, unlimited coverage for all that. That would be ridiculous. 
the federal report again, the, the banking report that came out on Friday, did make mention of implementing a range of rules for banks with over $100 billion of assets. Okay, so going backwards in a sense to more of like what Dodd-Frank initially did for banks that were over $50 billion of assets. The report also asks for better accounting moving forward of unrealized gains and losses on what are called available for sale securities that the bank holds. I think that this is a no-brainer. Remember, if I hold a $1,000 bond, all right, and interest rates go up, I can still hold my bond to maturity and get my $1,000 back, okay? But if I'm in a pinch and I have to sell that bond and I have to sell it right now in a higher interest rate environment, the market is not going to give me a thousand bucks. They might only give me 900 or 800 or some lower amount, all right? So that's important that we take a realistic look at what's your balance sheet today if you had to liquidate and I think you're going to see more and more of that built into uh, some of the regulations. Another thing, I don't think that uh, the, the government can ever really kind of tell a bank who can and can't be their customers um, to try and, you know, deconcentrate a depositor base, which we saw all three of the banks we've been talking about were very exposed to the startup and venture capital industry so that when that was in pain, then the bank was in pain. Remember, uh, something I talk a lot about is if you owe the bank a million dollars and you can't pay, you're in trouble. But if you owe the bank a hundred million dollars and can't pay, now the bank is in trouble. Okay, that's what can happen from a concentrated customer base. Um, so I don't know if there's regulation to be said about that, but I think it's something banks need to certainly be more concerned about. And then last but not least, uh, and kind of what the report talked about with social media is in today's era, you know, communication just happens at breakneck speed. Uh, you know, back in the day, if we watch, you know, one of my favorite movies, It's a Wonderful Life, and you remember the main character, George Bailey, he operated a bank, right, in his little community, and there was a bank run, and you can remember everybody was running down the street to the bank, getting in line, saying, George, we need our money back. He had the benefit of people actually literally running to the bank and getting in line. Today, we can on a forum or through social media just spread rumors and concerns that, you know, again, spread like wildfire. And then we could hop right on our computer and with the click of a button, all of us can go redeem, you know, millions of dollars of our deposits, or billions in some instances, and that is devastating to a bank. So with that said, uh, and with the advent of AI that we're starting to see more and more of, it is a bit scary how some of these things can happen so quickly. Uh, so there might be some regulations on how quickly you can get your funds or how much of your funds just to also protect, you know, the bank um, from such a thing as the bank run. So I know we covered a lot today. It was back to listening to Brian go on about economics. But I think this good understanding of the banking system and where we're at is important for everyone to be aware of. Uh, especially investors, business owners, um, you know, folks out there that are regular users of the bank, which is most of us, um, we should be aware of that. We should be aware of the FDIC and that $250,000 limit. And we should, again, know what a bank run is and, and how frightening and how devastating it can be. But with all of that said, and as much as we've experienced so far in 2023, 
like the report on Friday said, the banking sector is strong, right? We have seen these contingency plans come into play and actually work, okay, to protect, you know, maybe not the bank. The bank has to kind of, you know, reap, you know, some of the, the harms of their fouls, all right, through poor management. However, we've seen the end user, the customer be taken care of so far. And I think that that is reassuring. That is the silver lining here. Thank you guys for watching or tuning in wherever it is to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. Please re leave a review, spread the good word. That's how we get more and more of this knowledge out there. And do not forget to check out my new book, What Should I Do With My Money? Economic Insights to Build Wealth Amid Chaos, available wherever books are sold. We'll see you next time. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Hiderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.